The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your top five at five. Selling shifting into high gear as the market's losing week intensifies late in the game yesterday. Futures, though, in a holding pattern this morning. Investors gearing up for this week's highly anticipated report on inflation. Expected to show prices remaining red hot. What you need to watch for in that big CPI report. Now, ahead of that number, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen talking the U.S. economy, saying a recession is unlikely. The metric she is using to justify that rosier outlook. But a not so rosy outlook for shares of DocuSign this morning, cratering on the back of an earnings miss as investors grow increasingly worried about profitability. And your exclusive weekly look at the top insider buys, including one multi-million dollar stock purchase. It is Friday, June 10th, and you are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. Happy Friday. Welcome to the show. I am Dominic Chu in for Brian Sullivan today. Let's kick off the hour with a check on the markets and your money. Right now, futures are sitting at just about stable levels. The Dow is only implied lower by 33 points. The S&P down by about just a modest two points and the Nasdaq up by 23. We should point out, though, that this is near the lowest levels of the pre-market session for these futures and that trade. Now, stocks did fall sharply yesterday with the S&P and the Nasdaq each falling more than 2 percent. The Dow, by the way, closing down more than 600 points. Much of those losses, many of them coming during a rough hour of final trading, all three major indices looking at another losing week right now. The Dow is down about just about 2% or more. Most of them you can see they're down anywhere from about 2 to 2.25% you can see. But again, that big trade in the last hour of the session yesterday was what really took things down. The number that what Wall Street is watching today is the latest read on inflation. Economists are expecting the May CPI report to come in at 8.3% year over year. No change from the month of April. If you strip out the effects of food and energy, that figure is expected to fall to 5.9% from April's 6.2%. So that core reading is something to watch for as well. Ahead of that report, let's get a check on the bond market. Yields right now looking like they're ticking slightly lower, at least on the longer end of the yield curve. The benchmark 10-year U.S. Treasury note yield just about 3.025%. The two-year note yield, though, ticking higher, 2.835%. And the 30-year long bond sitting right at 3.15% as well. Turning to the oil market, prices hovering around three-month highs amid fears about new COVID lockdown measures in Shanghai. Still, though, that may take down prices, but you are seeing WTI crude, U.S. benchmark crude prices, $128, or rather $121.68, up about two-tenths of 1%. World benchmark ice Brent crude futures, $123.28, up about the similar percentage amount in natural gas prices, back above nine, by the way, $9.01, up, up, up about half of 1%. And checking the action in crypto. 
The price of Bitcoin currently just around that 30,000 mark. So we've been hovering back and forth between this 30,000 mark for the better part of a couple weeks now. Bitcoin price is just marginally lower, 29,996, off about one quarter of 1%. Ethereum prices, 1785, spot 17, down one-tenth of 1%. Let's now go worldwide. J.P. Long is standing by in Singapore with a look at the overnight action in Asia. Juliana Tattlebaum is in our London newsroom with a look at the early trade in Europe. J.P., we begin with you. Thanks, Tom. Good morning to you guys out there. And it was a fairly challenging end to the week for stocks here in the Asia-Pacific, most naturally indices seeing red. And we're really much sandwiched between two events. We saw the overnight warning from the ECB that they're preparing for an impending rate hike. And of course, in a couple of hours, that key inflation report from the United States. But before that, we also got some very important inflation data from China. And there's signs that consumer and factory gate inflation in China is starting to show signs of moderating and thus also stoking that maybe, just maybe, the PBOC or the Chinese Central Bank will have some room to extend some monetary support for the economy. You saw what that did for both Shanghai and Shenzhen, both locking in pretty handsome gains. Now, the Hang Seng did close in the red, but they had a valiant fight back after starting the day out in the red, also boosted by the Hang Seng Tech Index. And Chinese tech shares also closing pretty decently up also, and also mirroring a similar fight back from Alibaba. Earlier today in Hong Kong, Alibaba opened with a stark loss, but they did did not only battle back from that, but they also closed out the day higher, actually. And that also lifted sentiment for many of these Chinese uh, tech shares. Neo, though, their Hong Kong listed shares mirroring the decline we saw overnight out on Wall Street for their U.S. listed shares. This they fell after the electric car maker reported a bigger first quarter loss and also warned that revenues might slow down in the current quarter. We take a look at South Korea now. South Korea's cost be also falling today. And the story in South Korea really is that trucker strike, which is now in its fourth day and has now impeded deliveries and shipments from some of their biggest companies like steelmaker POSCO and car heavy or auto heavyweight Hyundai Motor and Kia. You see how their shares moved there. And we saw that uh, Hyundai at least did battle back, but we saw POSCO and Kia actually settle a bit lower there. Finally, we have to talk about the Japanese yen. They did firm up a little bit earlier today, but still capped off a pretty stark weekly loss or weakness for the Japanese currency. Though we did see that the Nikkei 225 did not take any strength on that. In fact, the Nikkei 225 in Japan today actually ended in the red. Well, that's your wrap up for how markets here in Asia actually closed out. Dom, it's back to you. All right. JP Ong in Singapore. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. Have a nice weekend. A challenging end to the week for markets across the Asia-Pacific with stocks mostly red, as we just heard. Markets found themselves sandwiched between the ECB's announcement. Now take a look at what's happening with Europe. Happening right now, Juliana Tattlebaum is in London with the latest there on that European trade on the heels of that ECB rate non-change, but indication of higher rates in the future. So, Juliana, take us through the losses that we are seeing today in Europe. Well, Dom, considering the ECB didn't actually move on rates yesterday, it was a pretty exciting meeting as far as central banks go. The ECB uh, cemented expectations for a rate hike in July, 25 basis points worth, and left the door open for a steeper rate hike, a more dramatic one in September. So European investors now pricing in what that means for various asset classes. And the reaction in equity markets has been pretty bleak. We saw the selling continue yesterday and accelerate after the ECB decision. The stock 600 ended about 1.4% lower. And as you can see here, the losses continue today. The DAX is down a further 
1.5% this morning. The CAC 40 over in France down about 1.3%. The bulk of the selling, though, taking place in Italy. The FTSE MIB is now down more than 2.5%. Um, outside of the Eurozone, we have the FTSE 100 showing a little bit more resilience, but even that market is down about 1%. From a sector perspective, the pullback is broad-based. We're seeing every single sector trade lower. The most resilient of the bunch, healthcare now, the most defensive or one of the most defensive baskets of stocks. Uh, even that basket, though, down about 0.8%. On the downside, real estate is suffering this morning, down about 2.2%, mirroring some of the uh, losses that we've seen stateside this week. Uh, autos also performing poorly, and banks, interestingly, performing poorly this morning, down about 2.2%, despite the outlook for higher interest rates. Dom, we'll hand it back over to you. All right, Juliana Tattlebaum live in London with the latest there. Thank you very much. Now to some of your morning's top stories. State Street is denying a report that it is looking to buy Credit Suisse. A Swiss blog reporting that the U.S. financial group is eyeing the troubled banking giant in Switzerland. Credit Suisse's CEO also calling the rumblings of a potential takeover offer from State Street, quote unquote, really stupid. The developments come after Credit Suisse warned earlier this week that it is likely to post a loss for the second quarter. Meanwhile, Adobe CEO says several categories of e-commerce are seeing prices fall, supporting that belief that digital shopping among consumers will stay strong. Speaking with Jim Cramer on last night's Mad Money, Shantanu Narayan noted that new figures from the company show that the consumer spending saw a substantial increase over the course of the last month. If you look at the data, you have to really parse it and say what's happening macro uh, economic situation and what's happening as it relates to the secular trend in digital. And we spend a billion dollars more in digital than we did just the previous month. That was Shantanu Narayan, the Adobe chairman and CEO. And a federal judge ruling that Starbucks does not have to reinstate three former employees who claim they lost their jobs for helping to form a labor union at their cafe. The judge claiming the National Labor Relations Board's request on behalf of the Phoenix store employees had, at least in essence, inconsistencies and lacked overall validity. Meanwhile, baristas at a West Hartford, Connecticut Starbucks successfully passed a union vote just yesterday, making their coffee shop the first unionized location in the Constitution state. Well, back to the markets. Investors gearing up for that CPI report. And despite high sky high inflation at these points, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen saying that a recession is not likely in the works. Speaking during yesterday's New York Times deal book event, Yellen stressed that despite inflation, other sectors of the economy remain strong. Inflation is clearly a major problem. It is President Biden's top priority. It's what I'm most focused on. And it's what American households are most concerned about, because um, when you look at opinion polls and you see what households have to say, it's amazing how pessimistic they are, given that we have about the strongest labor market we've had in the entire post-war period. Um, People can easily find jobs. They're confident about the job market. That inflation is fresh in my mind because I just filled up my gasoline tank on the way to work this morning. Let's bring in Dan Veru, co-chairman and chief investment officer over at Palisade Capital Management. Dan, you heard Janet Yellen's comments, the Treasury secretary saying what we all feel right now, inflation is a problem. Its effect on the markets right now is still being felt. Do you feel as though this is a bottoming process for markets or is there still downside left to go? Uh, You're exactly right to categorize it as a bottoming process, Dom. And 
in the near term, I think stocks are uh, inexpensive. Uh, price earnings multiples are down. And as we go into second quarter earnings, things should hold together reasonably well. I think a lot of bad news is priced in. And you're already seeing the companies that are uh, having difficulty already put those numbers out, whether it's in retail or yesterday, DocuSign, uh, you know, but I think uh, earnings are going to hold together pretty well. And there's there's decent valuation support. So I categorized my view as short term bullish, uh, medium term as we get into the fall period bearish. And I do think we'll at least retest uh, the lows established earlier in the year, uh, mainly because we're going to now focus on the midterm elections and the uncertainty of perhaps what uh, a change in Congress might look like and what and the policies that might come out of that. That'll be a further uncertainty. So, so, but so, so should, Dan, Dan, but, Dan, yeah, but yeah. I, I just if you're if you're so focused on some of those negative potential catalysts in the second half of the year, why shouldn't investors just sit on cash and wait on the sidelines and do nothing for the next few months? Well, I think if you get a, you know, bear market rallies can be very powerful. And perhaps if you're overweighted to stocks, that might be an opportunity for you to raise some cash. I agree with that uh, because I do think the fall is going to be a great buying opportunity uh, the way I see things lay out uh, right now with uh, probably the potential for a substantial a recovery rally in the fourth quarter into the new year. All right. So that seasonal factor at play there. We know that during the second half of the year, typically during the holidays, you do see a seasonal strength in the markets overall. Maybe that's still in play. So if that is the case, what is on your shopping list, Dan? What are the opportunities that do present themselves? Is it in energy and value stocks like it has been? Or are you going shopping for that mega cap tech that's been the leadership for the last several years yeah. at this point? Yeah, you, you raise a great point, Dom. You want to be focused on companies where the absolute price earnings multiple is attractive, not the relative price earnings multiple is attractive. You know, tech stocks, as we all know, are like long duration bond assets. We're still in a rising rate environment with elevated inflation. I would expect the supply chains rationalize over the course of the year. Some of those uh, pressures due to the supply chain will begin to abate and uh, and come off a bit. But still, this is regime change. This is leadership change. I believe it's materials, cyclicals, energies, and financials that perhaps could be the new leaders as we go forward. All right. Value leadership, says Dan Veru. Dan Veru at Palisade Capital. Thank you very much, Dan. Always good to get your thoughts. Have a nice weekend, sir. Thanks, Dom. All right. When we come back on the show, your, money's, your morning's big money movers, including shares of one retailer in that mystery chart, that are getting hit hard on a one-two punch of both weak guidance and then layoffs as well. Plus, China working to reopen amid that country's latest COVID outbreak and subsequent lockdowns. Our own Eunice Yoon looks at how constant testing is playing a key role and hurdle as well in that big reopening push. And the panel investigating the Capitol insurrection kicking off in prime time last night. The key takeaways from day one of that high-profile hearing a very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns after this. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. 
Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your big money movers, three stock stories of the morning. First up, you've got Vail Resorts. Third quarter earnings and revenues surged. As the company says, the impact of the COVID pandemic and related restrictions eased from the same time a year ago. Sales of ski passes for the upcoming North American ski season rising 9%. Vail is also raising the minimum wage for U.S. employees to 20 bucks an hour. That's a roughly 30% raise. Those shares up about 7% pre-market. Stock number two is Stitch Fix. The personal shopping and style service reporting a wider third quarter loss than expected as revenues fell 8%. The company also confirming it's cutting about 330 jobs. That's roughly 15 percent of its salaried workforce. Stitch Fix is also reviewing other costs, including its real estate holdings and footprint. Those shares off 16 and a half percent. And then stock number three is DocuSign. Those shares are tumbling this morning as the company's first quarter revenues did beat forecasts, but earnings came up shy. DocuSign also issuing second quarter sales guidance that fell below Wall Street estimates those shares are down 24%. By the way, DocuSign's CEO will be on TechCheck later on today, 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific. Dan Springer, DocuSign, a first on CNBC interview. Well, still on deck for the show, China's tech sector finding some relief on optimism over easing regulatory crackdowns from the government. A look at whether now is the time to dive into some of those names. Today's big number, 14%. That's the average savings rate U.S. workers are contributing to their 401ks per paycheck, according to data from Fidelity. That's the highest savings rate on record. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older like a family vacation or starting your dream business welcome to connie's coffee how may i help you aarp's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds that's why the younger you are the more you need aarp start planning today at aarp.org money tools this podcast is supported by fedex dear small and medium businesses No one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. 
Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. COVID worries are flaring up in China again as parts of Shanghai and Beijing tighten COVID measures again. Shanghai, which came out of a two-month lockdown just days ago, saying several of its districts would conduct mass COVID testing this weekend. Our Eunice Yoon is live in Beijing with more on just how critical mass testing will be as China looks to get its economy back up and moving. Eunice. Thanks, Tom. Well, regular testing has become a fact of life here in Beijing, as well as many other parts of China. And it looks as though testing, according to the authorities, would really be used to be able to balance the attempt to try to maintain zero COVID, or at least get as close as possible, while at the same time keeping the city's economies open. However, it is unclear whether or not the authorities can stay the course. This has become a morning ritual in China's big cities, standing in line for a COVID test. I'm out here every day, he says. The government hasn't mandated COVID tests, but the authorities require a negative COVID test less than 72 hours old to dine in a restaurant, stroll in a park, take the subway, or even get into your office. Without a COVID test, I couldn't work, she says. But waiting for one can take a while. How long do you think it'll take? Probably an hour, he replies. Plenty of time for morning calisthenics, a sneaky breakfast, a smoke, checking emails, or quality time with your dog. Not everyone thinks it's a good use of time or money. If I want to go to the supermarket or hospital to buy medicine, I need to show this test, he vents. The government pretends we have a choice in the matter, but we don't. So you're still online? So far, 20 minutes, he says. It could be worse. You could be waiting in the wrong line. A lady in the city of Hangzhou waited two hours in line for a COVID test, only to find out she was waiting for roasted chicken. She bought two, but posted this video warning people to make sure they're in the right place. And the lines can get confusing. That line is for a COVID test, this one for breakfast pancakes. What was the final time on the clock? 30 minutes, not bad. Now off to work, he says. And there are already signs that the authorities here in Beijing, as well as in Shanghai, are getting nervous. The vast majority of Shanghai, 23 million out of 26 million, are going to go back into lockdown or partial lockdown over the weekend as they conduct mass COVID testing over there. And then here in Beijing, entertainment venues and minor parts of the city have been shut over a handful of cases down. So, so Eunice, I, we've done similar things here in the U.S. with regard to COVID testing as a clearance for doing certain things. After a while, there was certainly kind of COVID testing fatigue, that sort of thing. So is there pushback right now from the public in China with these latest moves by the government to mandate this type of testing? This is still early, relatively speaking, for China in this testing protocol. We've been going through it for a, you know, a year and a half in the U.S. now. Yeah, that's right. Uh, there definitely is a lot of COVID testing fatigue, uh, not necessarily that people will talk about very openly um, in the public because of their concerns of retribution. But uh, definitely you see a lot of people uh, confused or skeptic- uh, like skeptical about what the government is trying to do. And especially on the business side, a lot of businesses 
uh, really saying that uh, they're worried if they're going to be able to survive? Because it's not necessarily the policy, but it's kind of the erratic nature of it, that they can't actually make decisions about what they should do next. Uh, President Xi Jinping actually addressed some of these worries of among the folks within the government saying that social stability is key, but then reiterated that the authorities needed to have unwavering, he said, commitment to zero COVID. All right. Eunice Yoon live in Beijing with the latest there on COVID testing in China. Thank you very much. Let's get a check on this morning's other top headlines and the hearings around the Capitol insurrection formally getting underway last night. NBC's Philip Mena is in New York with the latest. Good Friday morning, Philip. Good morning to you, Dom. 17 months in the making, the January 6th committee has begun to lay out their case surrounding the attack on the U.S. Capitol with some very powerful testimony. The committee bluntly saying former President Trump was at the center of it all. And there was never before seen testimony played from Mr. Trump's inner circle, including former Attorney General Bill Barr. I've had th- I had three discussions with the president that I can recall. One was on November 23rd, one was on December 1st, and one was on December 14th. And I've been through sort of the give and take of those discussions. And in that context, I made it clear I did not agree with the idea of saying the election was stolen and putting out this stuff, which I told the president was bull****. And... Uh, The former president's daughter, Ivanka Trump, said that she accepted what Barr said and did not agree with her father's claim that the election was stolen. The committee also released 11 minutes of never-before-seen footage of insurrectionists clashing with police. We also heard compelling testimony from a documentarian who was embedded with the Proud Boys during the siege and an officer who was injured that day. As for Mr. Trump's response, the Wall Street Journal reports that his political action committee is spending half a million dollars on a national ad painting the committee's work as a partisan witch hunt. That's it from here, Dom. Send it back to you. All right, Philip Mena with the latest there. Thank you very much. Still on deck for the show, a tough 2022 for stocks, yielding few winners when it comes to gains. The names that are actually bucking the overall downtrend and finding success in an otherwise down year. And a reminder, if you haven't already done so, please follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple or Spotify or other podcast apps. Worldwide Exchange in audio format. Plus, during these volatile and uncertain times for markets, CNBC is offering some perspective on how to protect your investments, your money, in the midst of today's market turmoil. Here is CNBC senior personal finance correspondent Sharon Epperson with a few quick tips on holding onto cash. Here's a tip for your money, your future. Holding on to some cash is critical in a market downturn. Yet a recent poll by Morning Consult finds only 37% of boomers say they've made progress in creating an emergency fund. Financial advisors recommend keeping sufficient cash reserves in a savings account that is separate from your investments. That way you don't have to tap into equities or other long-term assets if you need money and can avoid locking in losses when stocks slide. For CNBC, I'm Sharon Epperson. Futures in a holding pattern as investors gear up for that highly anticipated latest read on consumer inflation. That CPI report expected to show prices remaining red hot across the board. We dive into what to watch in that data and whether inflation may in fact be peaking. And Tesla hitting the brakes on a series of hiring events as the EV maker continues to send mixed signals on its employment plans It is Friday, June 10th, 2022. You are watching Worldwide Exchange on CNBC.
Welcome back to the show. I am Dominic Chu in for Brian Sullivan on this Friday morning. Let's get a check on how markets and your money are looking as investors gear up for that very big CPI report later on this morning. We've got more on that in just a moment. But ahead of that, futures right now indicating a relatively flat open. Right now, the Dow is implied lower by just about 16 points, the S&P up by one to two points, and the Nasdaq up by about 45. Now, the CNBC data team is taking a page out of Jim Cramer's playbook and focusing on companies that are actually turning profits, putting together a list of the 15 most profitable companies within the major indices this year. And given the market's performance in 2022, it's a very small list. When it comes to the S&P 500, the winners right now include ExxonMobil, topping the list, up about 67% so far this year. Chevron, oil and gas as well, up 51%, maybe no surprise there. And then a big gap from there with AT&T following up in third, up about 12%. Rounding out, though, the top five, you've got Johnson & Johnson and then Berkshire Hathaway, notching gains of around 2 and 1% respectively. Turning to the Dow, Chevron and J&J making the list, and Merck, the only other positive index member here with a 15% climb so far in 2022. Now, as far as the NASDAQ 100 goes, of the 15 most profitable companies out there, all of them had a negative stock performance so far this year. So keep an eye on that dynamic between price appreciation and stocks. There's not that many of them in a down market and some of that profitability story as well. Now to some of this morning's top stories. Meta's Facebook division is reportedly rethinking its deals to pay for news content on the platform. According to the Wall Street Journal, Facebook has not provided publishers with any indication that it plans to re-up the partnerships in their current format or at all. The journal says Facebook has paid an average annual fee of $10 million or more to each to the likes of the Washington Post, the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal. The report adds that the potential move has prompted some news organizations to prepare for a potential revenue shortfall of tens of millions of dollars as a result. Sticking with meta platforms, it's apparently planning to stop making the consumer version of its portal video calling hardware that shift first reported by The Information, comes as Meta reassesses its hardware plans. The report says the company will still focus on a business use for that portal product, which was unveiled back in 2018, like for business conference calling. Meta shares, by the way, up fractionally in the pre-market. And Tesla has reportedly canceled three recruitment events in China. According to Reuters, the online events were set to take place this month with a focus on jobs in sales, research and development, and its supply chain. The apparent move comes on the heels of CEO Elon Musk's recent back and forth on potential job cuts at Tesla, saying it had overstaffed in certain areas of the company. Well, back to this morning's top story and the number Wall Street's been waiting for pretty much all week. We are just about three hours away from the release of the May Consumer Price Index report. Economists are expecting headline results to come in at 8.3 percent on a yearly basis. No change from the month of April. With core prices, if you strip out the effects of food and energy, to fall to 5.9% from April's 6.2%. No matter how you slice it, price gains remain at their highest level in around 40 years and are well above the Fed's 2% inflation target level. So joining me now is Wells Fargo senior economist Sarah House to talk a little bit about what's happening. And Sarah, this has been the report that many traders and investors have been waiting for all week. I would argue even more important than the ECB's rate decision slash guidance yesterday. What are your expectations for that number? 
So we're looking for an above consensus gain on the headline. So we're looking for the overall index to increase 0.8% this month. And that would actually drive the year-over-year rate up to 8.4%. Now, the core, we're looking for something more in line with consensus, so 0.5%. And that would mark a slight moderation from the monthly gain we saw in April. But if you step back and look at the big picture, even that increase in, in core is still running at a blazing pace. So that's consistent with just over 6% annualized. So in other words, we're still not seeing really much relief at all when it comes to inflation. So if that's the case, what exactly is the scenario that plays out in your mind in the economy going forward? Is this going to be a situation where prices remain high enough and continue to creep high enough where there will at some point be some kind of demand destruction and or slowdown more markedly so in the economy? So I think we are seeing inflation at levels where it's beginning to affect consumer purchasing behavior. So we've heard some reports of consumers either trading down. We've seen some things in terms of like the retail gasoline station sales when you adjust them for for price changes. So those have slipped since February when we did see gas prices even begin to, to shoot higher. And so I think we are starting to see some behavioral changes. But you have to put that in context of what's still a very strong job market. A lot of people continuing to uh, to get paychecks now. So that's helping support aggregate income. And so while we think the overall inflation environment will lead to a noticeable slowdown in real consumer spending, we think that, that households can, can weather this storm for, for a while yet. Sarah, uh, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen was speaking at a deal book event, and she basically said that she doesn't think that a recession is likely that it's not going to happen anytime soon here. What's your view? I mean, a recession will happen eventually. We know this. It's bound to happen. But is it anytime soon? Is it this year? Is it the first half of 2023? Is it the second half? When does that kind of model out in your mind? So a recession through our forecast horizon of 2023 isn't our base case. But that said, we do think that the risks are elevated given how high inflation is and given how aggressively we expect the, move, the Fed to move to combat it. So we're looking for the Fed to move well into restrictive territory through early next year. And so we think that that's going to have a noticeable impact on growth, particularly by the second half of next year, where we see growth move decidedly below trend. That said, in order to keep this soft landing scenario in play where we just get below trend growth but not an outright recession, you do need a number of pieces to fall into place, such as increased labor force participation that helps job growth continue without necessarily putting further upward pressure on wages. And we also need to see a shift in in the spending composition among consumers. So shifting away from goods where you have seen unusually high inflation over the past two years relative to what we've seen over the past two decades and shifting more towards services where inflation has, has been softer. So we think that we can see potentially a soft landing, but it's not going to be easy by any means. All right, Sarah House at Wells Fargo with the outlook on the economy. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. Coming up on the show, your exclusive look at the week's biggest buys by company insiders, including one longtime exec making a multi-million dollar purchase. Those names coming up only on Worldwide Exchange. That's next. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. A shot right now of New York City and the skyline there. It's still early morning. 
Sun rising on the city that never sleeps ahead of that big, gorgeous weekend, hopefully, in the tri-state area. Time now for your weekly exclusive insider buying segment where we highlight the top five stocks being bought the most by their C-suite level executives with their own money. The info comes with our thanks to Verity Data. And as always, we are counting you down from number five down to number one. Number five is Sentinel One. A director there buying more than $239,000 worth of shares last week. That purchase coming after the company disclosed he was leaving the board of directors. Number four, NetApp. The company's chief financial officer buying $360,000 of that stock. This marks his second insider buy since joining as CFO back in March of 2020. Number three, Costco. A board of directors member buying just over $400,000 in shares. This marks her latest purchase in starting a series of buys back in December. Number two is Dick Sporting Goods. The retailer's vice chairman buying $404,000 worth of stock. His first purchase since March of 2020. And your number one insider buy for this week, Chewy. Yes, Chewy. Pet food. A longtime director buying $5 million in shares, his third with the retailer. So there you go. The names. Sentinel One, NetApp, Costco, Dick Sporting Goods, and Chewy. The big one of the week. $5 million of an insider buy. It is a segment, by the way, you will only see here on Worldwide Exchange or go over to CNBC.pro and sign up today. Subscribers for CNBC Pro get full access to those lists every week. Well, Asian markets are tracking this sell off on Wall Street today as worries over U.S. inflation data today fuels concerns about global growth. But stocks in China rising today on strong buying by foreign investors and cautious optimism that the government there is easing its regulatory crackdown on technology and media firms. China's blue chip CSI 300 index climbing 1.3 percent on the session. Tech stocks listed in Hong Kong reversing earlier losses to finish mostly higher, led by Alibaba, Meituan and NetEase. Reports saying Beijing has given Jack Ma's ant group the tentative green light to revive its IPO, despite denials from the companies and China's securities regulator. Let's bring in Brendan Ahern, chief investment officer at Crane Shares, which runs that very popular $6 billion CSI China Internet ETF, or the K-Web as it's known, the ticker KWEB. Uh, Brendan, this is, this is interesting to me only because we've been following the saga for months now about the decline in these Chinese-listed stocks. How is it in your mind that investors can feel comfortable dipping their toes back in when there is still so much uncertainty specifically from the government? Well, I think the, the two main concerns around uh, the companies within K-Web have been the China Internet regulation and then U.S. regulation of uh, the uh, U.S. listed China ADRs. On, on the former, the China regulation, I think there's lots of signs that this regulatory cycle is likely over or is in the very late innings, uh, just simply based on the user data, user protection laws went into place at the end of last year. And certainly speeches like the vice premier Liu He back on March 16th. So on the former issue, I think I think we're very confident that probably the worst is over. You saw news around DD, around potentially an ant IPO as further signals that on this one issue, uh, I think we're much less concerned today. I mean, Brendan, they're, they're even green lighting video game titles apparently again. So that, that's another one of those yeah. things, right? So, so, OK, so a, a, as you look at that, 
We are familiar with a handful of names here in the U.S., mostly because they are large members of the Nasdaq 100. They are they are within that kind of trading range that people see as being in in, in the lexicon when it comes to U.S. listed Chinese mm-hmm. stocks. We're talking about names like JD. We're talking Netties, Baidu, and others. Those types of names do they still represent at least? buying opportunities in your mind, or do you feel as though they have to be more cautious given the fact that we've seen so much downside over the last year? Certainly from a valuation perspective, companies like Alibaba, Badu, JD, as well as uh, some important companies listed in Hong Kong like Tencent, Meadowan, Kwashu, most of these names are still one to two standard deviations below their historical five-year valuation level. So we think there's still a good opportunity. And I think uh, something that you pointed out, Dom, is you know we've had this very significant outperformance. I mean, it's been it's been a terrible week for U.S. equities, European equities, for Asian equities, and yet you've got K Web is looking to end the week probably up about ten percent this week. So you're talking about a fifteen percent performance out uh, this week alone versus the S and P five hundred. So I think investors need need to potentially t- be aware, or take advantage of some of this performance uh, we're seeing in, within the space. So that outperformance, I mean, we do know there is a certain segment of traders out there who tend to chase that kind of performance. What are you seeing, Brendan, before we let you go, in terms of fund flows? Are, are you seeing investors getting more excited, putting money to work, so to speak, in funds like yours? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Dom, you know, you know KWeb was a $6 billion fund last week. Now we're up over $7 billion. So we continue to see investors allocate to KWeb to take a diversified basket approach to the rebound we're seeing within the China Internet space. Uh, so inflows have been quite strong. And yes, I will knock on wood. All right. Brendan Ahern, the CIO over at Crane Shares that runs that KWeb ETF. Thank you. Have a nice weekend, sir. Thank you. On deck for the show, we are gearing up for that highly anticipated CPI report, the moves investors might want to make coming up next. And throughout the month of June, we are celebrating Pride Month. As we head out to break, here is CNBC producer Joey Caruso. For Pride this year, I'm celebrating a long-fought history, understanding, love, and equality. I consider myself a late bloomer. It wasn't until five years ago I finally accepted who I am. And since then, my life has accelerated. Breaking generational habits that say it's not okay to be gay, it is okay. You are okay, and you always were. Put yourself first, and everything else will fall into place. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Let's take a look at how markets are moving right now. Over the course of the last year, we've seen record highs in the NASDAQ. And at these levels here right now, We are down roughly 27% from those record high levels in the NASDAQ composite, the tech trade in focus. But here, we are actually up 7% from the recent lows. So many experts out there talking about a bottoming process taking place. Now, with regard to over the last week, the Dow and the S&P 500 and NASDAQ are still on pace for a negative one. We are seeing roughly 2% declines in each of the major indices over the course of the last week. And remember, a lot of the selling pressure was just in the last hour of trading yesterday on Thursday. So uh, setting up for a pretty bad week so far. And then finally, energy and communication services are the real standouts over the course of the last week. Relative outperformers. Energy, by the way, is the only one in positive territory for the week. Meanwhile, real estate really taking it on the chin, down about 4% nearly with regard to that sector. Interest rates a big part of that discussion. For more now on your money, let's bring in Lizzie Evans. She's a managing partner at Evans May Wealth. If you take a look at this overall, Lizzie, this is a situation in the markets 
where some investors, rightfully so, are a little nervous about putting money to work when they've seen such damage already done. Is this, in your mind, still a constructive environment to be putting cash to work? Good morning, Dom. Excited to be here. Um, I think that you have to, I think that there's still a lot of uncertainty in the market. There's a lot of uncertainty as it relates to what the Fed's going to do. We're watching closely the CPI report this morning. So I think that there are certain parts of the market that still offer long-term, long-term opportunity, but you have to be selective and quality matters in this environment. So if it is quality that matters, what exactly does quality mean in your mind? There are, there are many factors, Lizzie, many, many types of characteristics that people look for. In your mind, what exactly does that mean? Yeah, I think quality um, means so many investors right now are focused on style boxes. You know, is it time to sell to sell value and to go into growth? I think you want to be focused on key fundamentals. Look for companies with strong free cash flow. Look for companies with strong balance sheets. Cash is king right now. Low debt load. So I think that um, to your point, energy has been strong. I think energy will continue to be strong really given the structural imbalances we're seeing in commodities and energy prices. But, you know, from there, I think from a sector standpoint, you have to be very selective and look from a bottoms up standpoint as to what to invest in. All right. So let's talk, Lizzie, about bottoms up, because we like talking about these ideas, Lizzie. When it comes to energy, are we talking about the oil majors like Chevron and Exxon? Are we talking about the midstream pipeline companies? Are we talking about smaller to mid-cap exploration and production? What exactly are you putting clients into right now? Yeah, we like the major integrated oil and gas companies. So look at, as you mentioned, Chevron. Chevron has excellent margins, particularly in their refinery business. Um, their balance sheets are stronger than ever coming out of COVID. They're lean and mean. They're buying back shares. They've got just announced $10 billion of buyback up from 5 to $10 billion previously. They're growing their dividend at 6% a year. They're paying down debt. So that's the type of company we really like in the environment we're in today. So the energy trade has been consensus for a long time. No surprise. I mean, you just look at the performance. It's a momentum trade for sure right now. But what about the contrarian play, which is technology? Do you still like technology? Do you put more money to work there? Yeah, I think that there are some opportunities. Some of these big, big mega cap tech stocks have been beaten up so hard since the first of the year. Take a look at Microsoft. You know, Microsoft has been absolutely crushed with a lot of the other software companies, but not all software is created the same. Um, Microsoft's trading at a 20% discount to its five-year PE. It is an absolute cash cow. They had $130 billion of cash. And compare that to their total operating profit at the end of the year was $72 billion. So you're going to see margins continue to improve as they migrate to the cloud. So, you know, I think that there are opportunities in tech, but you've got to be selective. All right. So, Lizzie, I mean, you are one of the nation's top financial advisors. What's the biggest concern that your clients are echoing to you right now? People are scared. You know, people are asking. uh, They want to hear that we're out of the woods. And I, I don't think we're out of the woods yet. So I think that um, you know, from an advisor standpoint, the key is staying the course, having an asset allocation that clients can sleep with at night. And that's really how you win over time. All right. That's Lizzie Evans, Evans May. Well, thank you very much. Have a nice weekend, Lizzie. 
Thank you. Thank All right. Futures right now are stable right now, but we are moving towards the session lows. You can see right there the Dow is implied lower by 68, the S&P down by 4, the Nasdaq up by 32 points after big losses yesterday. That does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Fox picks up the market coverage. Coming up next, have a nice weekend. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.